the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome, everybody, to the USL show. Uh, It's a special news edition. And by that, I just mean I think we're going to hit up two major news news topics tonight and then get on out. Have somewhat of a short one tonight Um, because for maybe obvious reasons and also unknown reasons, uh, not feeling it tonight, guys. Not feeling it at all. Um, This is Phil here, but we also got Ryan in Wilmington. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Phil, and I'm sad about St. Louis FC joining my Wilmington Hammerheads and the big league in the sky. Yeah, Kevin and I were talking about it this morning early on and talked about how uh, you still grieve your former team, for sure. Yeah, and just seeing all the reactions from everyone online, it's just kind of heartbreaking just to know that everyone has just kind of gone through roughly the same experiences of the you spend so much time going to those games and so much money invested. You meet a ton of your friends. So make so many connections that just to have it all just disappear. It's just kind of heartbreaking. It is. It is. And we're going to dig a little bit into that, but first let's introduce the rest of the group. Pony's here tonight. How's it going, Pony? Uh, pretty good. This is just an absurd week that there are topics that would probably be the lead for most weeks that are going to be relegated to we don't even touch this week given how everything's gone in these last four or five days. Yeah, it's been so crazy. Um, yeah, and there's plenty of space to talk about that online for sure. Twitter's covering a lot of those things. Reddit is a good place to talk about those things. Uh, but you know, tonight we're going to keep it a little short. Alan, your first love is playing tonight, not San Diego, but OC's playing right now. Yeah, they're um, they're taking on Vegas, so it's going to be an interesting one. Vegas in Vegas is always a crapshoot. Badoom tis. Um, <laughs> we saw what we saw what happened a couple days ago. So um, you know who who knows what's going to happen, uh, but it looks like good news so far. Um, spoilers. <laughs> um. Good, good. Yeah, actually, I don't have the game on. I've got like a million things going on as usual in my screen. So um, I don't have it going. I wish I did, but here we are. Would you get, I called that your first love, but I don't know if you had like a Euro team that you liked well before Orange County and San Diego came along. Um, it was, I mean, I paid attention to like Liverpool and stuff, um, but it was basically, hey, I really like the USL the closest team to me that I could drive to in any reasonable amount of time is Orange County. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they're also a pretty attractive team to watch. True. Uh, and so it was, at first it was Orange County, kind of Phoenix a little bit, just because, I mean, who doesn't like watching Phoenix? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I really spent some time there, got to know the players and the coaches, and it's been super fun watching them evolve. How far is it from you? I've asked you before, but I forgot. With and without traffic, let's say. Uh without traffic it's like a good hour 45 you mm-hmm. could be pushing that a little bit 
Uh, it's not a terrible not drive, but just after the match is is what's terrible. Like we had to interview the coach, and Braden Cloutier was always a little bit like tardy at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were some late nights uh, at the at the pitch at Championship Soccer Stadium. But you know, a twenty minute drive now to where San Diego plays is is much more enjoyable. That's awesome. Good, good. Well, Alan just listed about three different clubs as being the clubs that he's liked at any given time. And uh, I'm in the position now that we're perhaps I'll have to do that. We had we had news of St. Louis FC, at least for two years, I should say. Uh, St. Louis FC is officially going to fold, and we've been expecting that news to happen uh, for a pretty long time. Uh, not that it doesn't hurt any less once you do get that, that bomb dropped on you the day of. And... Uh, I don't know. It was like a good and a bad thing that Twitter was alive with conversation about that, especially my timeline. Cause it's full of a lot of St. Louis people. Um, but let's, let's not focus on that right this second. Um, this affects the whole league pony. Why don't you start us off? Because this is the possibility for a lot of other teams in the league right now. Yeah. I think to me, the two teams that are going to take the most note of what happened here are Sacramento and Charlotte who are both going to be going to MLS in the next few years as well as St. Louis. And as living in Sacramento, I mean, I could walk to Sacramento stadium in 15 minutes if I want to, that's how close I live to where they're playing right now. This is really not good news to me because it raises the question of, are these other teams going to bail before they actually get moved up to MLS or is it going to be more of a Cincinnati move where they go, hey, check it out. We're just going to throw all this endless borderline money at players until we basically are the best team in USL and crash out in the playoffs, but are one of the better teams in the USL and then move up to MLS the next year? It's a good question because now we've seen both extremes. We've seen the situation where someone says, we're done. We're pulling the plug, and you just guys deal with it two years from now when you move up to OLS. And I've seen the side that says, "Hey, we're going to keep pushing for the fans. We're going to keep making them happy. We're going to put a team on the field, and not only that, we're going to put a team on the field that probably is a really bad MLS team on the field." I don't know which way they're going to go, but now we've seen it's not necessarily going to be one of those situations where. Sacramento and Charlotte become the Cincinnati where we all go, well, they have this inherent unfair advantage where they're willing to throw all this money at players who are borderline MLS talent because no one else could actually do that. I mean, that was my gripe with Cincinnati in their last years. They had all this situations that no no USL team could actually have done. I mean, if Louisville wanted to say, oh yeah, Mr. Whoever is on Cincinnati, you want this contract for X dollars. And Cincinnati said, you want this contract for X dollars. And if you do good, you'll be on our MLS team next year with us. The fans will be behind you to start. That doesn't exist anymore. So I get nervous that Sacramento or Charlotte just say, you know what, with this whole COVID thing already hurting us financially, we're going to completely pack it in. We're going to fold for a year. We're going to be back in 2022, wherever it's going to be. And please come back and support to that point for a year, for one more year. You have no team. That's I'm legitimately scared about that for both Sacramento and Charlotte, even though I don't live in Charlotte. I don't want Charlotte to have that happen to them. The last thing I want to do is the independence at the end of this year go, you know what? We're done. 
until we go in MLS. Last thing I want to see for Sacramento, we're done until we go to MLS because that's not for the, fair for the fans. That's not fair for the players who now have no job. Basically, say, by the way, you're cut because of all these reasons beyond your control. But I mean, I'm just nervous of what this means for everybody because this could be a complete disaster for fans, players, coaches, staff, all these people. Or this could be a success story like Cincinnati was, where you go from your USL team to, hey, we have MLS ambitions, to, hey, we have MLS, to where you are in, in MLS. And there's no skipped beat, but I'm just, there's right way and wrong way. What Cincinnati did is the right way. What St. Louis did, I mean, granted, this year, COVID has destroyed so many businesses financially. And I think St. Louis could be just one of those victims of what happened of if you have no fans suddenly oh well and they lose a lot a lot of money and they say you know what it's just mixes the packet in but it is what it is and we'll have to see what happens with those two teams going forward yeah do you guys think it is it worked for cincinnati to ramp up the usl side and turn it into the mls side as far as the the crowd, right, um, on the field was a little bit different. I like that they tried it and it didn't work out, but um, is that the way to go? I'm not sure every team it works that way for, though. You know, like Nashville had some weird numbers right before they started MLS. They also kind of started out saying, hey, we're going to go straight from USL to MLS, and then things got weird. Like they kind of distanced themselves from the USL club and, and changed things up. And they kept the same leadership, but – um, I don't know. It's been weird. Every team that goes up, it's been a, a weird transition. Alan, any thoughts on that? I don't know what you would do or what you would hope for your team if they were to go up. San Diego very well could be in this position someday. Um, yeah, I know that they've talked about, like, this isn't the plan, but if it happened, it'd be great. Um, I, I think with a team like St. Louis that's built this kind of culture, it would make sense to honor the fans. Um, and the culture that they built to respect kind of what and, and build from there um, versus, you know, hey, we're a brand new team like an Austin or a Charlotte um, that seems to be less organic than maybe like a Sacramento um, or maybe a St. Louis. Um, we were talking a little bit before. I think this also is an educational point for some USL fans um, yeah. to educate themselves on the relationship between USL and MLS. Um I think that there's some assumptions. Whoa. I think there's some assumptions that are made about the, the, the relationship between the two. And I know uh, Ryan has a little bit more uh, about that as well. Just kind of this setup between USL and MLS. Yeah. I mean, I believe uh, a lot of people would look at USL as kind of being something that's propping up MLS to just for the simple inclusion of the MLS two sides. But I almost view that more as just something that's mutually beneficial to both leagues for now. Oh, that is, but hey, don't have it be mistaken that MLS and USL are like the best of friends. I feel like they're at this point right now, just more peacefully coexisting, but we're starting to see a bit more of that kind of butting heads against each other because now you're, we're getting into a point of MLS basically coming into USL markets, squashing the competition and having it benefit them as those sides move into the top flight. 
I'm so sorry. Alan, can you take over this conversation? I think I've lost everybody for a second and I got to figure it out. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I think the Phil had a tweet earlier that was saying that it's like U.S. soccer is not in a position to pick winners and losers or to protect a team. And I know there's some frustrations about, well, why didn't, you know, the MLS team, the USL team talk? It's like they're in under no obligation to. And the owners of St. Louis are under no obligation to continue playing if there's no promise that there's going to be a relationship. I think this just boils down to businessmen are going to make business decisions. And um, because some people view soccer as a business, I know fans don't always. Um, and so the owners are under no obligation to keep a team running if they don't want to keep a team running, regardless of what the league or U.S. soccer would like. Maybe they can be like, hey, we would really like it. But is Some there... Some with Lansing. Right. There's, there's no obligation. And, I mean, Pony, I don't know how you, how you feel about it um, regarding these obligations, if you will. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think a lot of it comes for how much of the ownership is going to be staying the same between USL and MLS. Because I know for Sacramento, it's not, it's a little bit more stable where we're not going from a team in USL to a team in MLS who has no one the same, who has no similar ownership. There's definitely a few parallels in there of who helped get them here and who's going to be taking control once it moves up a tier. And I'm not, I mean, Phil would be much better to better answer the question I have of how many of the people from St. Louis USL are still a part of St. Louis MLS. If it's completely different, I think that might be the reason why we've seen this shift. While if we go with uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati did a good job of the team who built the USL team helped mm -hmm. push them over MLS. It's not two different ownership groups. It's not two different, completely different companies or whatever you want to say. And I think that helps make it stable as the team is actually able to work with the players, the fans, and everyone else to push together to a new frontier. Even if it's a bad first year or two in the frontier, they actually are pushed together as opposed to saying that company A is going to build up a build up a fan base in the city and then company B is going to swoop in and say, hey, Garber, here's $300 million. We want an MLS team. And then he goes, okay, cool, and company A collapses because suddenly their USL team no one cares about because they have MLS in the same city. I think he, I mean, I feel is this a good representation of what happened in St. I mean, I don't want to speak for you because I don't know what happened there enough. Yeah, it's exactly what happened, but it, it was a weird situation, and I think there was an accidental, at least, first of all, let me say that Flyover Footy's kind of coming back, my, my St. Louis podcast, um, with my three other partners um, there that we did a show finally last night and it happened to be, uh, you know, obviously the night before the announcement. So we dropped that episode today and luckily it worked out. Like I drank way too much and I got really, really, really heated as I've done maybe once a year on the USL show. And uh, um, so I got real intense and I got real worried about dropping that episode. I thought about cutting a lot of my stuff, but then the news dropped and I was like, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. So I, I want to say that, um, if you want to hear me heated, that was <laughs> last night for sure. And I've had a lot of time to process and now I'm going to be a little more practical about it, but there was this weird accidental. And we said this on flyover footy last night that, um, 
an accidental bait and switch where the very first thing they put out, like one of the first things was this pyramid in St. Louis. And at the top was the MLS team. Uh, second in line was St. Louis FC from USL. And toward the bottom was the Academy with St. With St. Louis, Scott Gallagher and St. Louis FC. And all of us St. Louis FC guys were like, great. This is what we wanted. This is what we were hoping for. This, that means St. Louis FC is going to turn into MLS. And then a few months down the road, maybe a little longer than that, that pyramid disappeared. Um, and I should say at this point also that our owner of St. Louis FC is a minority owner of the MLS team as well. St. Louis city SC. So we were just in like great spirits. It was perfect. We love Jim Cavanaugh, the owner of St. Louis FC. He's going to make everything right. And then we just saw him drop off the face of the planet as far as the MLS team is concerned and less and less decisions. It was very clear. They had no part of those. And um, I think at some point there was a quote coming from the owners of MLS, the, the money guys with MLS. Uh, someone asked like, what's going to happen with St. Louis FC? Are you worried about whether they're going to make it after this year? Um, and she said something like, you know, that's up to St. Louis FC. They're going to have to decide what they want to do. And so at that point, my heart was just crushed. You know, this happened a week or so ago. And so, yeah, Pony, I think what you're getting at is like, these people who put up the $300 million, they're coming in, they're putting up the money, they're going to decide what they want to do. And they, they should be able to, right? They shouldn't be held down or feel like they're restricted in any way um, by having to submit to this St. Louis FC situation. You know, people wanted them to keep the colors at first. People wanted, you know, I wanted them to, to bring in the academy and um, build out of that because it's a good academy and like none of that's happening because they want to come in the new athletic director wants a blank slate like he came here so he could have a complete blank slate and start from scratch and so that means from what it looks like right now absolutely no st louis fc involvement in that and the hardest part about that is the loss of the fans right and and i think that's what we're all mourning today is that there's a cool way to do this. There's like a grassroots way to, to grow something. And if there's something you see from like some comms, a lot of comms departments, comms directors out there, especially the higher up you go or the bigger pants they feel like they have, the less they care about grassroots anything. And so, you know, MLS is, yeah, they want to incorporate the Luligans, but I don't know if they care. You know, I don't know if they care if anyone from St. Louis FC actually comes to games um, again, maybe it's only money because they're not going to be the bulk of the money coming in for an MLS team. And, and that's all those things hurt me very much because that's, that's not how I saw it happening in my mind. It's not how we were led to believe for a very short amount of time, but here we are. Um, I don't know how to transition out of that. Someone talk. <laughs> yeah. Grassroots gets yeah, messy. Um, I, <laughs> go for it. As a grassroots gets messy. I think anytime you're dealing with grassroots organizations, there's less control. And so I think there's a little bit of worry about grassroots organizations. Um, and, you know, when you lose track of control or you have any type of distraction or any type of messiness, things can go, you know, not the way you would want them in a controlled environment. When you spend that kind of money, you want a as controlled environment as you possibly can. Um, That's a better way to put it. Thank you. You're welcome. I still hate it. Um, no, for sure. It's, and I don't it's, think it's necessarily the best way to go about it, but I do feel like they want everything very controlled. 
I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that's like, my thought. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Pony. No, that's my thought. This is unfair for the current St. Louis supporters. I mean, their team is basically going to be non existent and they're being pushed and check this out, this new club. We have new logo, new brand, new everything, and they're going to love them. I guarantee you, they're going to love them. And this is different than what they've been supporting for these last few years. St. Louis has been one of the clubs over the last few years that people recognize their supporters groups are recognized i mean it's not like this is a club whose supporter group is like an mls2 club who has maybe 50 people go to a game this is one of the bigger clubs this is one of the most attended clubs this is one of the stories that you look at in usl and go boy if i started a club and they did what st louis did i'd be happy they'd make me money and they'd be successful they'd be promoting a brand they'd have everything behind them and with this mls push they're destroying that and just saying oh by the way guys support our club yes i mean you're going to what what else are you going to do you're, you have to love our club or just go away completely and that's what sucks to me is we're basically being force-fed love this mls side and oh by the way you don't have a team for two years just Come back in two years. I guarantee you, you'll love it. We'll be good. We'll have a new stadium. You'll love us. And it, I don't understand in what world MLS teams think this is how you build a fan base. I mean, with, if, if nothing else, just say MLS teams goes, you know what, for, the, for a year and a half, we're going to fund the USL team. We're going to keep their funding the exact same. And we're going to, you know, we're going to say, hey, we're going to put out open arms to say you know what we're gonna say if you join our team now and two years might be on you might be an mls do what cincinnati did say we're gonna be there we know we're gonna be there and we're going to this is a tryout this is a two-year tryout to be mls player but they're not doing it they're saying goodbye to everybody and hoping the fans stick around and because I know St. Louis fans are good fans are going to probably stick around and be still part of this club when it comes to MLS, but it's not fair for them. It's not fair for the players. It's not fair for the staff. And I mean, there's no better way to put it as than just you're screwing everybody and relying on their loyalty to have a good first year. I mean, I, I don't know what, whatever, there's no good way to put this. This is a horrible move on everyone's part. And, I feel sorry for everyone in St. Louis and hope this does not happen in Sacramento and Charlotte. Yeah. I, I, I think, I hope they have a plan for the next two years. I hope it's not going to be nothing. Um, I, I do think there's a possibility of there's some stuff I've come across where I think there's a possibility. Maybe we lose St. Louis FC for a year. Um, and then possibly in 2022, if I were them, um, this is going to be, the thing that I, I pound home and, and repeat over and over. I hope they start a league one team in order to try to bring up, you know, in 2022 to try to bring up the Academy to the adult level, because already Lutz Fennenstiel is the, is the new sporting director from Fortuna uh, Dusseldorf, Dusseldorf uh, formerly. And um, he wants to have homegrowns in the first year, you know? So if he wants homegrowns, he needs them to be experienced enough to be able to start. It's a long shot to be able to do that starting in 2023. So I surely hope he's going to bring in veterans, slightly young veterans 
uh, that can play in League One for a year and start, a, you know, start in the MLS team or at least be a sub in the, in the MLS team in the following year. But that's the best we got right now. We're not going to see any other pro soccer um, for the next two years. We've got a couple semi-pro teams in the league that that's going to have to fill, you know, make me happy. And they are going to play. They're really awesome clubs. I'm excited to watch them. But um, Pony, your emotions match what I was this morning and most of the day for sure today. <laughs> I hate the way it's being done because yeah. this is the last thing I'll say is that it, it just feels like they had to choose. Like, are we going to do it our way, all the way? And are we willing to risk losing fans to do that? I, I feel like that had to be the counter to what they decided to do here. And I do think they lost a couple fans, but I think you're right, Pony. In the end, everyone's going to fall into line, and they're probably counting on that. And that's that's not really fair. It's kind of shitty. But at least they like yeah. I mean, like I said, I'd rather it be. I'd rather be a. I'd rather have a few years of St. Louis saying we're going to be this borderline playoff team. We're going to give a bunch of kids and veterans who we think might have a chance in MLS to try. If they make it cool, if we cut everybody, that's also fine. But as it is, I think they kind of copped out by saying, you know what, we got hit financially by this whole COVID thing and the shutdown, so we're done. And that's where we are now. Which I think is both partly true and partly bullshit, by the way. I think everyone probably saw that that was like, I think they were going to fold anyway. But if they weren't folding this year, uh, after this year, it would have been the following year. It, it was inevitable. I don't know if that really matters. Alan, you've what were you about to say a little bit? I would just say, speaking of cop-out, what the league did with that fourth substitution, or fourth, <laughs> the <laughs> fourth sub was 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 pretty, pretty much a cop-out as well. Um, if we want to transition out of, of therapy for Phil, which is much needed and much appreciatedly given. Um, but yeah, that fourth sub violation uh, if we want to get into that kind of let's quagmire put pin, let's put a pin i'm so yeah. sorry alan but we did not give ryan a chance to say something i'm oh, so okay, sorry yeah please do and i just wanted to as the last thing to say on this situation um and it's i feel for the supporters just especially now that uh, just the state of the season that uh, some teams just either don't have fans or it just, it's not the same with fans that they're just not able to be a proper way to say goodbye to the team. I was fortunate enough with my Wilmington Hammerheads in 2016 that we had one last match at home at Legion against the Richmond kickers that we won to know. And it was an emotional atmosphere and I was so happy that I was able to be in attendance. I actually came home from school for that weekend specifically because I knew I wanted to be there for that final game as a chance to just say goodbye. And I just feel for the St. Louis supporters that there's not going to be any real closure on this end. Uh, It's just at the end of the year, it's going to be that at the end of the season, that's going to be it. And that's just, that's the end. Yeah. I I was able to catch the second half because of a rainstorm. I was going to miss the game, the last game that we had. I was going to miss it, and there was a rainstorm, and I had a show with my cover band, and so like I wasn't going to make it, but the rainstorm stopped my show, and I drove over and caught the second half of the final game, and I got pictures. We won 3-1 against Sporting Kansas City 2, which is nice because they're somewhat of a rival, I guess. Um, 
so that was awesome. And so I did get my kind of my final moment there. And I had a feeling at the time that it would be. I really did. And so I took pictures so I could commemorate it. Um, there's a chance we get a game before the end of the season if St. Louis County lets us do it. But not counting on it. Um, but yeah, moving on. Um, thank you, Ryan. I'm glad we got that in there. Uh, we had a problem with the sub. Uh, a fourth sub was was used by San Antonio, right? And uh, they used it four times. They subbed four times. And you're only allowed three different windows to use five subs. And it was allowed by the fourth official. And uh, we did a lot of reading of rules and tried to figure this out. And I think we had a good handle on things. And the ruling came down, is that today or yesterday? Yesterday, right? Yeah, the yeah. ruling came down yesterday from the league on on what happened after they discussed it with pro um, pro referees. Pony, you want to get us started on this one? Okay, well, I guess I guess we'll cut off then. It was a confusing situation where I don't know what the actual rule book says right now, and I think that's the big question. Is the rule book says if you go over your allocation. It's a forfeit, but the allocation doesn't really specify if you're talking about the number of subs you're going to have in a game or the number of windows that you're going to have. And that gets a very weird, who knows what the actual rule is, if this was not actually specified by the league and I've written an email, say, here are amended rulebook for this season. And given the response from the USL, I think they realized that, oh shit, we did not update our rulebook to specifically say you get five subs in three windows. That's the biggest takeaway I get. Because if there was a rule that went out to all the teams that said, hey, you get five subs, but it's only in three windows, this would be for first Antonio. It would suck for them because they were well ahead. They would have easily won the game if this sub didn't happen. But if that rule went out to all the teams, this would be a forfeit. And I think they realized we did not clarify stuff in writing enough. We said, hey, by the way, we're doing five subs. And they and San Antonio went, okay, sub, sub, and accidentally. I, I don't think this was intentional. I do not think this no. was the least bit intentional by them. They said, here's a sub. Rush said, okay, holds up the sign. He goes out there, and then after the game, we go, oh, wait, that was actually sub number four and window four. And, I mean, it's, it's just frustrating to see how this played out. I mean, if there was a change in the rulebook, to specifically say this is not allowed and the USL is still saying San Antonio is okay because of whatever the heck happened, that's bad. And they should have forfeited the game. Even if there was no chance they would lose this game, they should have forfeited the game if that actually went out. But if it didn't, it's fake. It's ambiguous. I mean, I agree. Yes, the intention is pretty clear, but yeah, it it wasn't broken. Because I think we need to reiterate exactly the differences between what you're talking about. I mean, you said it, Pony. There, there's like a rule about subs, but it, it doesn't specify every damn thing. Ryan, do you know exactly how the rules were laid out? I feel like you were one of the people that posted a picture of the rules. 
No, I believe that was uh, Alan, but I guess if we're going based off of what the international ruling is given down by FIFA, it was that you can have now five substitutions in a match, but can only occur in three different windows. And, and but like there wasn't like an outright uh, listing of like what would be the punishment if a team violated this uh, window rule and had a fourth window used just because we never came across it whenever it was used up in well, uh, any of the top four leagues in England that were still playing. Yeah, so you can say I do. I do remember seeing Jeff Root is the first to like kind of report on this, and he did lay out exactly what is supposed to happen, which is if this rule was broken, which is like generally the substitute rule, um, which I think we'll get to in a second here. Alan, I'm going to prep you for for that discussion here, but. Um, the, the consequences are to forfeit the match and letter A was to forfeit the match if you mess that up. The second one was to uh, pay a $2,500 fine. Um, and then also what I, and I'm not sure I'm right about this, but Ira Jersey kind of helped me try to understand this because he's been a referee in the past. It seems to me, and I might've been proven wrong by what was decided, but it seems to me the spirit of this rule is not necessarily for the rules to shut everything down. I don't know, Pony, you've done some refereeing, maybe you know, but but it's up to the coach and the team to not mess it up. And then the fourth referee, the way I've heard it from multiple referees, is the fourth referee should probably have realized what was going on and said, hey, this is not the way it's supposed to go. This is your fourth window. Um, you're not supposed to do it this way. Are you sure this is what you want to try to do? And then after the game is when the league comes down and gives punishment if something was done wrong. That was my understanding before the ruling came back. Now, Alan, you were able to post a few things to kind of help bring some clarity to this. What was the way you saw it? (laughs) Uh, So there's like two different things. One is the fourth official. Now, they might have amended it because of this rule, uh, but they're in charge of just like the procedure they're not supposed to even stop an an ineligible player. So let's say you had a player that was suspended, but your coach puts him in. It's not the fourth official's job to be like, hey, this guy is ineligible. They're just supposed to notify the league afterwards. Um, And then with Ben Wright from Speedway, put the whole rule, and an ineligible player is also someone entering a game after the substitution allotment has been used. And this is where you get into that problem of, it's kind of ambiguous if sub allotment means your windows or sub allotment means those five subs. Cause you can make an argument that San Antonio did not go over their sub allotment because they only used four subs as opposed to five. Mm-hmm. So this is where it gets into that kind of ambiguous kind of rule where it's not exactly clear with the, the rules that we have. And uh, talking to my attorney wife, she actually was like, that's kind of a dumb rule because there's so much ambiguity there that yes. it would be really hard for USL to enforce that rule because San Antonio would be like, well, we didn't go over our allotment. We just went over our windows. And since you didn't say windows, I mean, you can't, you don't have a leg to stand on because we didn't violate, like there's no punishment written out for violating windows. And so that's, I think where it gets to that really sticky subject of what does allotment mean? And now we're getting into, you know, we need to go to law school now to determine what allotment means. But yeah, do- also, sorry, it also says knowledge of whether a player is ineligible player is the responsibility of the team, not the referee or league. 
That so was that little tangling at the end. Everyone remember that phrase. Um, ponies itching to get in on this one. But I do think we've clarified the, the problems a little better now, Pony. So we're all ready to start hearing your arguments. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what has been said. But if you look at the statement from the, from the USL itself, it says, while the laws should be adhered to by the referee crews and teams, the moments component is largely procedural and in place to avoid additional stoppages and delays. And I think that's what they're, I think that's what they're kind of punting on. We're not punching on, but saying San Antonio is not trying to milk the clock and say, we're going to make a two or three subs in stoppage time to run this game down. And to me, that's where they go. That's where the U.S. is going, hey, this was because we were unclear. This was not San Antonio trying to say, hey, we're going to burn three minutes off the clock to make additional substitutions in the stoppage time. And just their wording to me makes me go, again, San Antonio made this move probably accidentally. And the USL went, oh, no, we don't have rules for this now. So they're trying to go. So this is USL going, well, because San Antonio is not trying to delay the game because all these other things, we're going to say this was allowed technically, maybe it should have been allowed. Who knows? I mean, granted to me, yes, I think this should not have been allowed overall, but the rule book does not explicitly say this is a breaking of the rules. Therefore, it should be a forfeit. But I think that's the USL in their statement said that because San Antonio was not trying to just add time to the clock and delay everything, that it's technically fine because San Antonio was not breaching the intent of the five sub over three winner rule by trying to, to make that in their favor to, to delay a game by a minute and a half when they're up two nil and up a man to kill the clock. So at, at least that's where I think about the wording says that to me, USL realized, Oh no, we've screwed this up, but here's our fallback on top of yeah. all the legal stuff that Alan already talked about. Yeah. I think that's what you, what you're saying is exactly how I feel that it's almost it almost feels like they won on a technicality like the USL doubled down on what was decided or what was allowed is going to go through and since there's nothing proving that we are absolutely wrong we're going to stick to our guns on this one and I think that's fine I mean technically they win in law this is kind of how it works um I, I will say that if I used to be very much against this is the way it should be. Uh, but I will say that the way the game was going, San Antonio really kind of deserved the win. And this, in this situation, it didn't affect the game terribly. Um, now, if I was like thinking, what is the spirit of this rule? And was it very much broken? And was it San Antonio's fault? Absolutely. Yeah. So like, I would say the spirit of the rule, San Antonio should have been shut down um, and they should have forfeited. But since they won 2-0, things were looking their way no matter what. They didn't do it on purpose. It didn't really harm anything. Again, like I'll allow the technicality, you know, I guess. Um, Alan, you didn't get to quite give your opinion on the matter. What do you think? Um, I, I thought it was, ultimately, I think it was the right call. Um, I could have been very happy with them forfeiting the match and saying it's a forfeit. These are the rules, you know, 
there might have been a clarification that people didn't know. It's like, hey, we sent this out and said when allocation is Windows, it's an ineligible player regardless. Um, but I think they looked at it and was like, I think there was an issue with one of the subs being in a hydration break. So you can even make an argument that they really only stopped the game three times anyway. So it was like a lot of like, there's a lot of shenanigans happening. I would like USL to come out and say, moving forward, here is the rule and here is the language. And if you violate this window rule, here is the, the, the end result, your punishment, if you will. Because yeah. I think using a fourth window is, I think, less egregious than adding a sixth substitute. Like, to me, I don't think those are equal. So I would love for USL to come out and say, hey, we, you know, we're going to fall on our sword here. It wasn't clear. Nothing really worked the way it should have worked. Going forward, here are the expectations and here are the punishments. Yes. Nailed it. Yeah, isn't that, that was what I was going to say too, and I forgot all about it. The real lesson here is that they just didn't, you know, they didn't have their shit together. It's a problem and it's a, a, a debate because the law wasn't wasn't clear enough. Ryan, uh, any last thoughts before we move on to something else? Yeah, I think it was just more of USL kind of admitting that they, they didn't think the rule through or that it, it was just didn't think that it was going to come up as an issue at any point during the year. And I do think the scoreline of the match probably had a lot more to do with it. The fact that San Antonio were already up 2-0 in that game. And it just kind of says, like, okay, they've won this match. It it's not gonna we're not gonna argue the semantics over it. I do think we would have seen a different outcome how had they made that final substitution. And and then that would have provided them with a victory or with a draw. Yeah. Okay. Uh two quick two quick ones. Uh one's a rumor that maybe we should just make fun of because it's the USL show. Uh Tyler Pashard of Lincoln City. Ryan, why don't you do this? You're better with details than I am. Yeah, it was uh people were connecting the dots online earlier this week of the Indy eleven forward Tyler Pasher or making a transfer over to current English League One team, Lincoln City. He, they were saying that the clubs had followed each other online and and a few other rumors it's rolling around. I think it was the VP at Indy 11 had tweeted that Pasher isn't leaving this year, but uh, it's always interesting just to see uh, how USL teams and players would compare to other leagues outside of the United States. And the fact that uh, it was even a rumor to connect our, one of the top forwards of the league this year to someone in League One and is uh, pretty somewhat of a decent indicator at where uh, skill level of these players are. Yeah, I agree. We were kind of talking about Hartford and their U23 team and sending a guy to the USL rather than playing for the U23 team. It's a step up for that guy, I'm sure, especially playing against grown men. So um, League One comparison, I, I think that's somewhat there. We've had these debates before, but it's got to be somewhat close. Maybe getting better as, a, as uh, every year as we go. Um, what's our last topic? I forgot already. I don't have my notes in front of me. Phoenix, Vegas. Phoenix, Vegas. What do we got? What's it? What's the score? Oh, what was a three-three draw? Vegas. Sorry, uh, Alan. Why don't you lead us off on the Phoenix, Vegas thing? Sorry, I got confused. 
Yeah, so there was like 42 minutes of stoppage time. Obviously, that's a little hyperbolic, but there was a lot of stoppage time against uh, between the Vegas-Phoenix match. Um, and Phoenix, I was even writing the recap from San Diego, and I even wrote Phoenix wins in Vegas, which puts them even further ahead than San Diego because after a penalty kick in the 90th minute, I figured 3-1 was a pretty good result, and Vegas was probably not going to get a whole lot. Um, but there's uh, obviously some drama. Uh, but I went back and looked at the um, <laughs> the time of everything that took place in stoppage time. And I took a look at the clock. Some of them, it's hard to tell because the camera isn't, it's on a replay when play resumes. Uh, but there's about four and a half minutes of stoppage time or actual soccer time that's played between the uh, kickoff in 20 seconds after the 90th or into the 91st minute and the 97th minute, like 97:38, when the offside call happens, that leads to the third Vegas goal. So I know there was a lot of like, you know, harumphing around eight minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes. Hmm. But if you really look, there was like an injury. Um, there was like two or three subs that were made between the 93rd and uh, 94th minute. Um, and then you obviously have a goal scored. So it felt like it went on forever. But if you actually took a look with a stopwatch or with your game clock, um, it's actually not quite as um, controversial as it would seem just looking at the number of stoppage time. And we all know that stoppage time is a minimum, it's like a suggestion. And so it's like anything between four minutes and four minutes and 59 seconds would be four minutes of stoppage time. Um Pony, I know you've done some refereeing, so I know you know a little bit more ins and outs of added time and that a referee can add time even in stoppage time if something happens, if a team's time-wasting, if there's a sub. So I I was like, yeah, because I'm like that fan. Oh, there's 10 minutes of stoppage time. Blow the whistle. But then if you look at like what's actually played, it's about four and a half minutes. And then that free kick took forever too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, this was, I mean, Phoenix fans are legitimately upset about this. I mean, you can't add this much beyond stoppage time unless something absurd happens, which actually didn't happen in this game. I mean, there were goals, there were a bunch of odd stuff, but how far it went was way beyond what I think should have been allowed on this one. It kind of more feels like a reference going, hey, this is still going. Yeah, there's an injury. There's a sub. There's a goal. There's a sub. There's a goal. I mean, even if you say we're going to allow four or five minutes of added time and then push up to like eight minutes, you have to have said this guy was on the ground not moving for four minutes to me as a, as a ref. I mean, granted, I was never this level of ref. I was never this good of a ref, but... I think Phoenix got burned on the. I I legitimately think Phoenix got burned on this one, and if you want to ignore single calls, this is one of the worst rough decisions of the year so far. Because I think Phoenix should have won this one three two. The game should have ended, and we would have gone okay, fine. But they let it go on for so long that. Vegas got a chance. Vegas converted the chance. I mean, good on them. I mean, it's one thing to get a chance, but what's one more thing to actually say, we're going to play one of the best teams in the league, get a chance far later in the game than we ever should have, and we're going to put it in the back of the net. So, I mean, that's on Phoenix. They should not have allowed the goal. I mean, if their defense is better, 
their keeper was better, or whatever you want to say. They should not have allowed that goal, but they did. And they're rightfully upset with the ref. But, I mean, if the ref's going to say, well, I added from this point, this point, this point, this point. I mean, I disagree. This should not have been a chance for Vegas to get this goal, but they did. We are where we are. And this is on USL Pro from here on out to say, hey, ref, that was fine. Or, hey, ref, why did you do that? We're going to demote you or whatever it's going to be. This is on USL Pro from here on out. Phoenix can't really argue this in either way. They're, I mean, they can't appeal it. Vegas got lucky, got a point out of it, and we'll see where it goes from here on out. Woof. Uh, bet Reddit was good on that one, right? <laughs> all right. I think that's it. That's all the news we're going to cover today. I know there's a lot more going on, but, you know, those were the big ones for sure this week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, for Ryan, Pony, Alan, and me, Phil Grooms. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week.